I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you for your participation last week in our Impact 2020 offering and commitment. Uh, we had thousands of people come forward and give a one-time gift and then let us know what they're willing to give above and beyond their normal gifts over the next four years to advance the cause of Christ through the people of Lake Point. Uh, not only are we going to be able to make some great investments in some of our facilities, but we're also going to be able to expand the work that we're doing locally, nationally, and internationally with all of our partners. If for some reason you weren't able to give your gift and your commitment last week, there's still time for you to be a part of this. In the foyer of all of our campuses are offering envelopes that also serve as a commitment card. Grab one of those on your way out today, and there's a way for you just simply drop that in the mail. The postage is already paid. And then on December 6th, the weekend of December 6th, I'll be making an announcement about the total that our people have given and committed to this cause. By the way, you're in for a real treat today. Our guest speaker is Aaron Graham. He and his wife, Amy, uh, was a part of our church planting network, and they planted a church in Washington, D.C. about five years ago. God's really blessed that work. They've continued to grow now that they've opened a second campus, and they've also launched a special ministry in Washington, D.C. Uh, by the name of DC 127 that's named after James 127 that speaks about the ministry we're to have uh, to the orphans. This is a foster care ministry. He'll tell you a little bit more about today. But uh, be in prayer for Aaron as he comes and teaches today. Uh, he is a graduate of Fuller Seminary uh, where he has his doctorate. He also has a master's from Harvard University. Uh, would you give a Lake Point welcome right now to Aaron Graham? Hey, Lake Point Church, it's great to be with you all. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited uh, to be here. Thanks for those who are tuning in online as well. Um, I, I know that God is real and that God is active today, and this is one of the reasons I know. It's because Lake Point Church invited somebody who lives in Washington, D.C., in the belly of the beast, who roots for the Washington Redskins, into the heart of Dallas Cowboy Land. And so I'm like, if God can bring Jews and Gentiles together, he can bring Redskins and Cowboys fans together to worship the one true God, amen? So thank you guys for your grace. This is a house of grace, amen? Um, so thank you guys. Uh, seriously though, Lake Point Church has, has made a huge impact in my life and in the life of our church, the district church. We wouldn't be who we are or where we are as a church today if it wasn't through your financial investment, if it wasn't through the coaching of Pastor Steve and Rick and the training and the support that we have with all the other national church partners. I learned so much. Um, our church, as Steve mentioned, we're right in, in, the, in DC. We have two locations now, one that's two miles north of the White House and the other one is one mile east of the US Capitol. And we have 47 nationalities that are represented in our church. So God is doing an amazing work. And once again, thank you guys for your support in that. And I've been following over the last month with your Impact 2020 series and the campaign that you guys are doing. And I'm excited about that campaign because I know that it's gonna help more people, more church planners reach unchurched cities just like you guys helped me before. So thank you guys for being a part of that. This month is National Adoption Month, National Adoption Month. And so this is a time um, every year uh, where churches in the US and all across the world shine a special light on the plight of the orphan. And these are people who have lost one or more parents um, and they don't have a home. And so in, in, here in the US, there are 100,000 
children who are in the foster care system who are waiting to be adopted. There's many more kids than that in the foster care system, but many of them are just in there temporarily. There's 100,000 that have no hopes of being reunited with their mother and their father, and they're on a wait list waiting to be adopted. But this is what troubles me. There's 100,000 kids waiting to be adopted, but there's 300,000 churches in America. Globally, there's, there's 1.5 million, no, excuse me, there's 150 million orphans globally, but there's billions of Christians. And so I wanna unpack that a little bit about what is our call as the church? So my adoption journey started on my first date with my wife, Amy, 12 years ago. And uh, actually it was about 13 years ago. We've been married about 12 years ago, uh, for 12 years now. And uh, it was about an uh, hour into our date that Amy began to ask me about if I was interested in adoption. And I learned pretty quickly that if I wanted to score a second date with her, then I better say yes. And so we're, we're celebrating 12 years of marriage uh, next weekend and just excited for what God has done in our family. We ended up um, taking in our first uh, foster teenager named Keeland uh, a, a year after we got married. That's a picture of him posing uh, for, for us. And then a couple years later, we took in Terrence um, and we had actually adopted him out of the foster care system when he aged out. So there's 30,000 kids who age out of foster care every year that don't have a family. They don't have a family to go back home to during the holidays. They don't have somebody's uh, phone plan to be on. And so Terrence has been a part of our family for the last eight years. He lives on his own, works his own job, but he's a part of our family. And then we adopted two kids as infants, Natalie and Elijah. Elijah's our older one who's seven and that's Natalie. And uh, they're a bundle of energy and joy and keep us on our toes. So today I wanna talk about um, a story about how God turned an orphan into an abolitionist. How God turned an orphan into an abolitionist. And it's a story about how God raised up this person to lead his people out of slavery, an unlikely person at that. And my prayer and my hope is that wherever you are in your journey today with Christ, wherever you are even in your journey of talking about foster care and adoption, I pray that this story speaks to your heart. I, I believe that there's somebody that's here today that needs to hear this story, where God has put a, a dream in your heart and your life, but for whatever reason, whatever circumstances that are going on externally in your life or maybe internally, you found yourself discouraged. And I pray that today, God would reawaken that dream within you. So our scripture today, if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn and join with us. It's from Exodus chapter three, starting in verse one. Exodus chapter three, it's the second book in the Bible. And Moses is in the wilderness and he's tending to a flock and he's just going about his business, not thinking about anything maybe too big. And all of a sudden this angel of the Lord appears to him in the form of a burning bush. There's this bush that, that won't stop burning. And so he goes over to it. And when he goes over to it, he hears this angel of the Lord God speak to him saying, Moses, Moses. He says, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. And Moses responds, he's overwhelmed with the presence of God and he responds, he gets down on his knees in this posture of prayer and, and, and worship. God has his attention. And listen to what the Lord says in verse seven. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of, and he lists all of the different ites. 
And he says, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So the context here is that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was so scared that the Israelites were increasing in number that they were gonna become a threat to his rule and to his power. He, they, he thought that the Israelites were gonna side with Egypt's enemies and overtake him. And so he enslaved the Israelites and he made their slavery brutal. In fact, he was so afraid of the population increase among the Israelites that he called for a genocide of all the Hebrew baby boys. He called for them all to be thrown into the Nile River. And so in the midst of this overwhelming oppression among the Israelites, listen to what it says at the end of Exodus chapter two. It says, the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The first of three points that we see here in scripture that I wanna to make today, the first one is this, that God hears the cry of the poor. That God hears the cry of the poor. The Israelites had been enslaved for over 400 years. I don't think we can even fathom what that feels like or what that looks like. This sense of, of desperate hope, this, this, this sense of, of not even being able to have any hope because all of your ancestors have been enslaved and it's only getting worse. Pharaoh's only making it worse. I don't know if you've ever been in a, a season of your life where you just feel like your circumstances are overwhelming you. Maybe, maybe you don't see it externally, but internally, emotionally, you just feel like you've lost the will to live. You, you've lost the, the will to even get up and go to work. And there's just not this sense of hope. And yet what we see here in, in the scripture is that God hears the cry of his people. That God hears the cry of the poor and those who are suffering. One of the other things we see in chapter two of Exodus is that, that God hears the cry of this mother who's so afraid that her baby boy is gonna be killed by Pharaoh. And so she tries to hide him for three months but it gets, a, gets to a point where she can hide him no longer. And so she makes this basket and she takes him down to the Nile River and puts him in the river, just hoping that somebody will be able to come to his rescue. Some of you know the story, Pharaoh's daughter of all people, Pharaoh's daughter is going down to the Nile to take a bath and she sees this basket and she calls for her servant to go get the basket and bring it to her and they find that there's this baby in the basket and that the baby's crying and they're confronted with this choice of what are they gonna do? And let me be clear, Pharaoh's daughter didn't have to do anything. She was, she was a person of privilege. She, she was a person of high social class. It was optional that she responded to poverty. She had seen poverty and children in need before. But somehow with this situation, God got a hold of her heart. And she had compassion on this child. And so she took the child in, into her home and she, she adopted him and raised him as her own. And she gave him the name Moses. For she drew him out of the water. And this young kid who is destined to be killed gets adopted into the royal family. And who's his grandfather? Pharaoh. 
the person who was supposed to kill him. He's now in his family. And as Moses grows up and he gets older, he's wrestling with his, his own identity and who God's called him to be. And he, his heart is breaking for his Israelite people because he knows his grandfather is enslaving them. And so one day he, he sees this Egyptian and Israelite, these two people fighting. And so he, he wants to defend his Israelite people. So he starts beating up the Egyptian. He's like, I'm tired of seeing this. He actually kills him. And he's so afraid, he's hoping nobody finds out. Well, it turns out that Pharaoh finds out that Moses had killed this Egyptian. So Pharaoh is on a mission now to kill Moses. And so Moses flees to the wilderness for 40 years. I can't imagine how lonely he felt during that time. He, he didn't have his adoptive family. He couldn't go back to his Israelite people. So he was just tending sheep in the wilderness. And that's when God shows up to him in this burning bush. It was after years and years of suffering and questioning, God, are you real? Do you really hear the cry that I hear for my people? And God speaks up and reminds Moses that he's not alone, that God too hears the cry of the poor. Listen to verse seven. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. We see this over and over in scripture. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about God's special concern for the poor and the powerless. In fact, there's three groups of people in the Old Testament that God speaks about over and over again that he's committed to defending because they have no voice. The orphan, the widow, and the stranger. I love what it says in Psalm 68, verses five and six, where it really declares this heart of the Lord. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. If you're taking notes, write that verse down. If you remember one thing from me today, remember that, that God sets the lonely in families. This has been the heartbeat of God for, for 2,000, well, for actually since the beginning of creation, this has been God's heartbeat to set the lonely in families, but it's been the heartbeat of the local church for 2,000 years since it was birthed on Pentecost. In, in the early church in ancient Rome, there was this practice where, where people who didn't want to take care of their children because they were the wrong gender or because they were disabled, they didn't want to raise their kids, there was this practice of them placing their children outside of the city walls of Rome. This practice was called exposing. And yet there was this group of Christians in the early church, this often persecuted minority of the early church then that made it the practice to go out of their way, to go out of their comfort zone and go search for these children so that they wouldn't be killed. And when they found them, they would take them home, bring them into their family and adopt them as part of their family. And so we see here that God hears the cry of the poor. Jed Medifin, who's the president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans, says this, he says, throughout history, Christians at their best have reflected the same commitment. Candidates for leadership in the early church were to be lovers of orphans. And this heart has always been visible in healthy Christian communities. It's what I love about Lake Point Church, that you guys have been committed to this cause. You have a whole foster care and adoption ministry where you come alongside and support families who are going through taking this step of faith. 
In fact, I think just as we study the early church and we study scripture, that how we care for the poor, how we care for the suffering, how we care for the children in our community, maybe that should be a prerequisite for Christian leadership. Not a prerequisite for salvation, but a prerequisite for leadership. It was Jesus who said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you came and visited me. What you did for the least of these, you did for me. So we, we see here in Exodus 3 that God hears the cry of the poor. But here's the second point, that God has a plan. God has a plan. Listen to what God says to Moses in verse eight. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Brothers and sisters, our God is on a mission to seek and rescue the least, the last, and the lost. And he will go to whatever lengths, even at great cost to himself, to adopt us as his sons and his daughters. God sent his one and only son into this world so that he could have a relationship with us, so that our sin wouldn't separate us from God. It's as we sang earlier, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. That God would go to whatever lengths, even at great cost to himself, to ensure that this message of his love for everyone would get to each and every one of us. My son Elijah and I were talking the other day about different professions that people go into. And it came uh, to the profession of pastors. And we were talking about what do pastors do? And, and I asked him the question. He said, well, pastors preach sermons. And I said, well, what do pastors preach about? And he looked in my eyes without hesitation, like a seven-year-old boy will rarely do to an adult. And he looked right in my eyes and he said that God loves everybody. That's what pastors preach on. And I was like, yeah, that'll preach, right? That'll preach. But God sent his one and only son into this world because he's so committed to having a relationship with us. He's so committed to not allowing our sin or our past or our mistakes or our hurts, our habits or hangups to separate us from the love of God. That is the gospel story. The gospel story is that after Christ went to the cross to die for our sins, that, that he didn't let sin and death have the last word, but he rose three days later. And after he rose from the dead, he didn't tell his disciples to sit back and relax and enjoy the ride, just put it on cruise control. You can kind of just hang out until you get to heaven. Now he said, I'm going to my father in heaven. I'm ascending to heaven, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit. And he commissions us as his church to be his hands and feet, to go seek out the least, the last, and the lost. So we see that God hears the cry of the poor, that, that God has a plan. But here's the third point. And this is the point that honestly, it makes me uncomfortable. I think it can kind of make all of us uncomfortable in some ways to wrap our mind around this. The third point is this, that you are the plan. That you are the plan. That God's plan is to give us his Holy Spirit and to, to send us out to be his witnesses and to work through ordinary men and women. Listen to the next verse in verse 10. God says, so, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now Moses is like, you said, let me get this straight, you said what, you want me 
to go back to the family that once adopted me, but then alienated me. You, you want me to, to go back to them and to tell them and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Like, God, I think you got the wrong person for this assignment. Do you not understand my stuttering problem? Do you not understand my past? Do you not remember that I actually killed somebody and that's why they're out to, to kill me? You must have the wrong person. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt like that. God, you must have the wrong person here. I remember when God called us to start the district church five years ago. We started in our home. We didn't have... Um, a lot of support. You guys came in about a year and a half in and we were able to really grow through, through you guys' support. But we just were meeting in our home and, and I remember that we really had this dream to be a church for the city. And we said, you know what? We wanna be the kind of church that if we cease to exist, that our city and our neighborhood would notice. So we began to meet with the leadership of the city and say, how can we serve? What are the greatest needs? And one of the greatest needs that became apparent was the need around foster care and adoption. In DC, in our nation's capital, there are 300 kids who are waiting to be adopted in DC proper, just right, right in the heart of the city, not the metro area, just DC. 300 kids that are waiting to be adopted and 1,800 kids that are in the foster care system that are waiting for quality homes. And so, you know what, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's really a compelling need. They asked if we would mobilize our church and other churches in the city. And I was like, well, that's, that's nice, but I don't have any time. Like we're two years into our church plant, portable church set up and tear down. We're just trying to survive. God, you must have the wrong person because I'm too young. There's other pastors that are more qualified. But how many people, show of hands, how many people know that you can't run from God, right? When God speaks to your heart, you can't get it out of your heart and your mind. And I remember there was nights that I couldn't sleep. And God gave me the vision so clear, I just had to get out of bed and write it down. And here was the dream, to reverse the wait list. The dream is this, that there would be more families that are waiting to foster and adopt children than there are children on a wait list in the richest country in human history waiting for an adoptive home, waiting for a forever home. And so... I'm happy to report to you guys that a couple years later, through the work of DC 127, churches throughout the city, a lot of other different agencies, that wait list has dropped from 300 kids waiting to be adopted to 100 kids. So it dropped 200 people. In fact, in fact just yesterday, there was a family that finalized an adoption in court of a child. And so it's amazing what God can do when the people of God say yes. And I love hearing the stories here at Lake Point Church. I remember a year ago, I got a text from Micah Davidson, who pastors real life in Austin in Corpus Christi. And he said, do you live near Laurel, Maryland? And I was like, uh, yeah, it's just right outside the city. He said, we have a family that's adopting a child right now in Laurel, Maryland. Here's the picture of her, her name's Hope. And we have a couple pictures of her, There's big eyes right there. There's a couple other ones uh, right here. And it's just this beautiful story of how, uh, of how this family at real life heard the call to, to adoption. But because of the Lake Point Network and because of the friendship that Micah and I developed as a result of that, when, when she called Micah and said, we, there's, there's a good part of the story, but there's also a hard part of the story. The hard part of the story is that we're leaving tomorrow to come back to Texas and the birth mom is homeless and there's nowhere that she can turn to. 
And so within a matter of hours, we mobilized our DC-127 network and so that that mother had a safe home so that she could finish high school and to get a job and to get back on her feet. And that's the power of the church, being the church, amen? And so I, you know, I'm grateful for the, the good work that different agencies and the government agencies do and social workers do. But here's the deal, guys. I believe that we as the church need to lead the way through our sacrificial leadership in the way that we care for children and families in crisis. That's our calling. That's always been the calling of the church. That's not something new. It's not like I'm preaching this sermon about foster, and ado- foster care and adoption. I'm like the first person ever to do this. Now, this has been the heartbeat of the church for 2,000 years because it's so rooted in Scripture. See, I believe, I have a fundamental conviction that there are no orphans in heaven. There's no orphans in heaven. That in heaven we are all adopted as sons and daughters of God. And if Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then I believe that it's our mission to make sure that there's no orphans on earth as well. And so I'm dreaming of a headline in the DFW area that says, Dallas-Fort Worth churches, Rockwall churches, unite to reverse the foster care and adoption wait list. Wouldn't that be an awesome headline to read? I believe that the church can do that, amen. So God hears the cry of the poor. God has a plan to respond. And yet the hard thing for us to wrap our mind around is that, that we are the plan, that you are the plan. But here's what's interesting. When God speaks, we oftentimes, as Henry Blackaby says, face a crisis of belief. God, is that really you that spoke? And the thing that happens is that we tend to either overestimate ourselves or underestimate ourselves. And both of them are forms of pride. We, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, or we think less of ourselves than, than we ought to. And therefore, we don't steward the gifts and the calling that God has given to us. And so then it actually becomes about us because we're just complaining about how we're not qualified, we're not qualified, we're not qualified. But if you just get over the fact that you're not qualified and steward the gifting and the calling that God's given you, then you could focus on the mission and God would be getting the glory rather than yourself. Moses is someone who was underestimating what God was about to do to him. Listen to this verse. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I remember when God called me into ministry at 16 years old. And I was like, I was on a mission trip in Belize. And I was like, God, I will go anywhere. I will serve you and I will do anything. But there's one thing that I won't do. And that one thing is public speaking. I was like, God, I am so scared of getting in front of people. My mind runs like a million miles. I'm always like four paragraphs ahead of where my mouth is. And, uh, and I just, God has a sense of humor, doesn't he, right? And, and see, the, the, the reality is, is, is this, and this is what I don't want you to miss, is that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, right? He, he's not looking for, for people that have it all together, who have the resumes all together. No, God is, is looking for people who, who, who his power can be made perfect in their weakness, God is looking for people through whom they say, you know what? Like, I can't do it. That, the, the enemy is right. Like, I have no power. I'm incapable. I can't do that. But he's also, you know, the enemy mixes the truth with a lie, right? 
So that part's true, but this is what's a lie. It's true that I'm incapable, but it's not true that when Christ lives in me that I'm incapable. Because the scripture says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And God is in the business of of picking unlikely and ordinary people. People that have messed up paths and pasts and mistakes and sins they've made. And God loves to raise those people up and use them. I mean, that's the story of, isn't that the story of Moses? That's the story of David. That's the story of Jonah. That's the story of Peter and Paul. That God picks these unlikely people. And I, and I believe that's a message that we need to hear today because I think some of you are in the place today where you're, you're waiting for, your, for, for you to get your life together before stepping out and trusting God. You're, you're waiting to, to have everything aligned before you step up and to be a life group leader or, or lead a mission trip here at the church or to step out and, and maybe foster or adopt or come around and support a foster or adoptive family. But let me just say that it's your feelings of inadequacy It's your feelings of of feeling incompetent that best qualify you to be on mission with God because it's in your feelings of inadequacy that that gets you in the place where you have to depend on God and so the glory goes to God and not to yourself. I love how this passage ends in verse 12. God said, I will be with you and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, if you have a pen, underline, worship God. Worship God. This this passage begins with the worship of God at the burning bush where Moses is so overcome with the presence of God that all he can do is worship God. And sometimes God has to send a burning bush in our life because he's already speaking to us, but we can't hear because our lives are going a million miles an hour. That we have to have a burning bush so God can get our attention to speak to us. But it starts in worship. But notice that this, this passage ends in worship as well. What is the end goal of of God raising up Moses to be an abolitionist, to lead the Israelite people out of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, crossing the Red Sea, getting to the heels of the promised land? What's the end goal? Is the end goal so so that they could create this huge army and and, and have this sort of political end where they then try to uh, take up arms and take out Pharaoh and take over Egypt? No, the end goal is worship. He says, you will worship God on this mountain. See, when justice is done as an act of worship, it has more than a political end as its end goal. It has heaven in view. That's what biblical justice is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have to get a picture of what heaven looks like. There's no orphans in heaven that can help influence the way we go about ministry here on earth. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in, but aim at earth and you will get neither. And this is the vision that God gives to Moses. This vision of the worship of God is what allows Moses to persevere through 40 years in the wilderness. And so I'm here to tell you today that not everybody is necessarily called to foster and adopt. I mean, that's my passion, that's my cause, but I know everybody's not necessarily in a position to be able to do that. But I believe that every single one of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is called to respond to the cry of the poor. And that every single one of us can do something to help a child in need. And I'm here to say that that it's your feelings of inadequacy that best qualify you to do this work. Because I, 
I'm convinced that, that if God can use a stuttering adopted orphan named Moses, who took somebody's life and ran from God for 40 years, then God can use you and he can use me. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. I love that. God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do ourselves. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we're grateful that you have adopted us as your sons and your daughters at a profound cost to yourself. God, we pray that you would forgive us for dreaming small dreams, that you would forgive us for taking small risks. Thank you that as followers of Jesus who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, we don't have to fear failure. We don't have to fear stepping out in faith because your promise is that you will be with us. And so God, I pray for Lake Point Church. I pray for the foster care and adoption ministry here at the church. I pray that even today that you would be speaking to different hearts and raising people up to be foster and adoptive parents, raising people up to, to babysit and cook meals and to support these families. And God, I pray for the Moseses who are in this room or who are listening to us online those who, who have heard your call but feel unqualified, feel incompetent for the task at hand. God, I thank you that, that those are the exact people who you're looking for. God, let our response to you today be yes. Yes, Lord. Let it be in me according to your word. We thank you, Jesus. And all the church together said, amen. 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 Thank you, Lake Point.